Welcome to the Ancient History Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Wade, and today we have a very special episode about the Tangata Wenua people of New Zealand. Our special guest is Jimothy Van Hasselhoff, a historian who specializes in these people and knows all there is to know about them. And here he is. Welcome, Jimothy. Thanks, Caleb. I'm really glad to come on and talk today. Yeah, no problem. So, Jimothy, what are we going to talk about in terms of the Tangata Wenua people? Well, Caleb, we are going to talk about the many aspects of their civilization and why they are so successful. Alright, let's dive right in. Okay, so first I just want to tell you a little base information about these people. Uh, they are from New Zealand, and they had one president on each island. They were around at about 1250 BC to 1000 AD. So they are around longer than Rome, which I find pretty fascinating. And Tangata Wenua actually translates to Earth People, which shows how connected they were with their environment. Wow, that is very cool, and being around longer than Rome, that's not easy to do. Yes, and that is one of the reasons I decided to study this group of people. Okay, so now I think we should talk about their economy, because I think it was very well run, and unlike some civilizations, they did not collapse because of it. Alright, let's do it. Okay, so they had a capitalist economy, because they believed that it would lead to less problems. Their currency was called Wakaita, which is made out of gold, and is named after the longest river in New Zealand. And another currency was made out of iron ore, and they called it Uturino. And these people had a variety of jobs, such as farmers, hunters, salesmen, fishermen, miners, and clothing makers. So it seems like their economy was very well run for the little inventions and technology that they had at the time. Yes, indeed, and as well as the parts of the economy I mentioned above, they relied on trading with nearby civilizations such as the aboriginals. So, Jimothy, what did they trade for, and what did they give in return? Well, they traded for the materials that they lacked, such as textiles and metals, and also minerals that they didn't have. And they gave their most valuable resources, such as gold, limestone, and iron ore. Okay, so now I'm even more intrigued in these people now that I know about their economy. I don't mean to change the subject too fast, but I'm really interested in finding out what their military was like. Oh yeah, we can talk about that. So, one in every two men and one in every two women would be drafted into the army when they turned 20, and anyone else could join that was above 20 and wasn't drafted. They believe that some should help defend the civilization and some should help run it, so that is pretty interesting. After being drafted, they were then trained by high-ranking military officials, and if one did not qualify for the army, they were sent home. Uh, Soldiers were required four years of military service, and they could go longer than that if they wanted to, but did not need to. And they would never attack others, they would only fight when prompted. Wow, that is very interesting. So what did they do as in terms of defense, and how did they make weapons? Well, they obviously could take the high ground if another army got in because of the mountains and volcanoes, but that did not happen very often because once the army realized they could be attacked from all sides very easily, they created a barrier far out at sea made of stone, which could stop enemy ships from going through, and if someone climbed the wall, there would be soldiers on the other side. And if those soldiers were killed, the enemy would have to walk a long distance through the water. 
To get in and out, there was a mechanism at a certain spot of the barrier that could let ships, ships through from pulling a lever on the inside. And in the case of weapons, they used what they had available to them, which was iron ore, stone, and wood. And they used those materials to create different kinds of weapons. Okay, this is just blowing me away. These military operations obviously needed lots of communication, and I'm really excited to learn what language they used and how they wrote it down. But first, a word from our sponsors. Have you ever wanted to blend in with the couch? If so, good news, because over at DeCamp's B Block, we have a sale going. Use our code Ancient History Podcast to get a 1% discount on our $10,000 price. Thank you. Welcome back. Now we're going to talk about the language of the Tangatawinua people. Jimothy, get us started. Well, they called their spoken language Carrero, and they called their written language Tuhi. Their spoken language was very similar to Maori, and Tuhi was put into glyphs, which were different shapes and lines that represented letters. We have found lots of evidence of Tuhi in scriptures and recordings of religious teachings. So you mentioned religious teachings. How did their religion work? Well, they had a polytheistic religion, because they were so connected with their environment, that they believed every there was a god for every aspect of it. For example, the sky god is called Ariki Ranji, the water god is called Waiatua, and the volcano god is called Puiatua. And the people worship these gods by praying to them and giving gifts to them, such as putting rare minerals in the ocean for the water god. I find it awesome how they would depend on different parts of their environment to help them live their lives. So were there religious leaders in this civilization? Yes, there were, and they were called Tangata Aus, and were hired like most other jobs in the civilization. So I know many civilizations had an origin story. What was the origin story of the Tangata Wanua people? Well, a summary of it is three gods, the sky god, the water god, and the land god, met in the place of the gods and decided to create a place where living things could live and thrive. So they got into a circle, put their hands in the middle, and said, Kote Winua Tene, which means here's the earth. And then the earth was created, and more gods started to put their hands in the circle and add things to the earth. And when 100 gods put their hands in the circle, humans were created. Wow, that is a very cool story. Probably one of the more interesting origin stories that I've heard. Okay, we are pretty close to over, but before we talk about the collapse, I want to talk about their government and how it worked. Okay, you got it. So they had a democracy, which they thought would cause the least instability, and they had one president on each island that could be on an island off the coast, and they would discuss certain issues and topics there. But the same basic laws would be in effect on both islands, and everyone had the same rights. Kind of like how there are different laws in the U.S. states. Uh, It was split up into districts that were governed by government officials, and there was also a legislature branch that could pass laws. And if someone wanted to pass a law, they would send in an idea for a law, and if deemed responsible, it would be voted on by the legislature branch, and as well as the president, 
and they would count as two votes. And lastly, every government official had to be over 30, and there were voting days when people would vote on the different positions in government. Wow, I just can't believe how well run this civilization was. How on earth did they collapse? Well, many civilizations would attack their small land area and eventually got through the barrier in the sea. Civilizations could also attack them from all sides. With a lack of inventions, they did not advance as fast as other civilizations. And after much hunting of fish and meat, there ended up being a food shortage. Also contributing to that food shortage, the farmland could not be sustained after thousands of years of farming. And lastly, volcano eruptions would wipe out entire towns. But the true end of the Tungatawanua people came when the aboriginals attacked them and they had to surrender. The people were either taken hostage or were forced to live in a new civilization. So there are still some Tungatawanua people in the world today. It seems like there were a lot of aspects that affected their fall, Jimothy. What do you think their legacy was after they collapsed? Well, Caleb, I believe they left a strong legacy but it was not spread around the world because of their location in small area. But what we've learned from history, and the history of the Tangatuanua people, is that a civilization should focus on peace, stability, and the people, and the rest will work itself out. True words of wisdom, Jimothy. I just want to thank you so much for coming on. I learned so much today. Yeah, no problem. I hope to come on again and talk about another place in the world. Yeah, definitely. See you later, Jimothy. Okay, thank you for listening to the Ancient Civilization Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Wade, and thank you for listening.